Hello, Brett. Hi, George. Welcome to another episode of Float Your Boat. I'm sure you're happy to be back, aren't you? Always happy, George. Always happy, vibrant, etc. I'm, I'm happy that you're happy, and I'm happier seeing your your smiley face. Yes, although although it is quite bearded now. But that, that's unlike our our current guests. Uh, we have uh, Julie Mason on today. Julie Mason. What is? Now she's, tell me about Julie Mason. Well, she's a LinkedIn strategist, and but what's that, George? I have no idea because I'm not a social media expert, but um, okay. I, I guess I guess it means that people can uh, improve their chances of being noticed on LinkedIn. Uh, and and like at the casino, like that, yes. So so twenty one black. Yep. Uh, she improves your chances of just winning. I backed a horse at twenty to one and didn't finish till quarter to three. <laughs> From Tish. <laughs> oh, you are so bad. <laughs> Anyway, so Julie, Julie has a bit of a bit of a life story, how she got to uh, where she uh, where she is today, and um, it's um, well, let's let's just get her in, and she can explain her own life story. What do you think? Sounds like a good idea. Yeah, let's get her in. Welcome to the Float Your Boat podcast about how everyday people created their road to success. The highs, the lows, pitfalls and potholes and how they overcame it all. And now, here are your hosts. Julie, Julie's dressed up for the occasion. Why couldn't you do the same? Because I've been... Point out, it's just the jacket and the necklace. Everything else is active wear. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Well, I'm active wear from the from the waist down. Uh, I'm wearing I'm wearing lycra, and it's not a pretty look. You haven't okay. you haven't had anything up. active. Save me that look. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't had anything active for a while, have I? That's right. I was going to say. <laughs> uh, uh, Julie, Julie, welcome to our show. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. Lovely uh, to be I, here, George and Brett. Thank you so much. I hope, Glad to I have you here. I hope you enjoy a bit of a laugh, uh, Julie. We, we won't segue too much, uh, but uh, you know, you, you you look like a person that can uh, can take a joke or two. Oh, absolutely. Well, well, <laughs> I'm, well, I'm going right for show. my quick wit. <laughs> oh, good, good, good. You're on the right show then. So, uh, <laughs> so Julie, um, you know, you've come to us. You've come to us uh, from uh, through a mutual friend. Uh, who probably availed herself of your services at some point and realized that you were, you know, you're pretty good and um, <laughs> formed a friendship with you. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Actually, we availed each other of each other's services to some degree. Right. And, um, and it was like a, a, I always say it's like one of those frizzles that happen when you connect and you just go, oh my gosh. You're my long lost friend that I didn't know I I didn't have, you know, kind of thing. So it was one of those types of connections. And yeah, George and I had that frizzle. Yeah, but I was already taken. I had that frizzle with uh, Brett, but I was already taken. So unfortunately, uh, it couldn't go any further. So it frizzled out. (laughs) (laughs) Frizzled out. It lost the R. It went from frizzle to fizzle. That's yeah. That's right. (laughs) 
more fizz rather than oh, frizz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're 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 uh, we're okay. We're having we're we're having a great time together. So, Julie, well, Julie, tell us um, where you were born and where did you grow up? I was born in Bankstown, good old Paul Keating. Oh, country. whoa, that's a great place. For I know. I'm a Westie from way back. A great you know, man. Can I say? You grew up with the Mortimer brothers and uh, and uh, George Paponis and oh, my, all the greats. My uncle played for Canterbury Bankstown. So and tell us his name. What was uh, his name? Tom James. Yep. Nah. No, no, it couldn't it have been that good. Look, he's 88 <laughs> years old now, honey. It was a long time ago. Wow, wow, okay. wow. You should remember well, that, George. your time, you're a spring chicken. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, well, no, he would have been a player when I was a boy. So, yeah, it, oh, no, he wouldn't have been. Oh, yeah, no, before your time. Before <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah. Uh, so you grew up in Bankstown in, in the great Paul Keating neighbourhood, which is fantastic. Well, I was born there. I only lived there until I was about two and a half. And then we, um, my family moved to Nambucca Heads and I grew up at Nambucca Heads, which is on the beautiful mid-north coast, beautiful. just south of Coffs Harbour. Yeah, love so it. So grew up on the beach and the river, catching fish and swimming, mm. nippers mm. and mermaids, all of that kind of thing. Fantastic. Yeah. You were a yeah. nipper, were you? No, I was a mermaid. You were a, well, okay. Is, is that Sorry, what they call them up, mean... up that, in that part of the world, really? Back in that day, it was nippers and mermaids for the little packers. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Life saving. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not, not, not what we typically think of a mermaid, like someone in a mermaid suit who no, just no, lies no, on the no. beach. So still the, the red and yellow caps, you know, all of that kind of thing. But, but when you're doing, uh, when you're a little tacker and you're doing life saving, I think that. I don't know if they still call it nippers and mermaids. No, but they back don't. In the just day, nippers do. now. Just nippers. Well, yeah. I'm we're still a patrolling the... member, actually. George. Are you? There you go. Yeah. We're yeah. neutral now. You know that. Well, this is like, this is, you know, 40 you... <clears throat> something years ago. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, so brothers and sisters? I have one older brother. He's six years older than me, and right. he drives B double trucks for Lindsay Brothers. So he keeps our country, you know, getting food from paddock to plate. Fantastic. He's 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 uh, shipping toilet paper all over the country right now. Uh, he mostly, yeah, no, he mostly does fruit and veg. So uh, oh, we need uh, him. Yeah, but he he will travel. He'll be on the road for four to five weeks at a stretch, and then he goes home for a couple of days, and then back on the road again. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, it's a hard so, gig, hard gig, hard, hard gig. gig, but he has a perfect relationship. Yeah, he does. No it chance to fight. A lot of arguments. Happy to, happy. It, the wife's always happy to see him. <laughs> the dog more so. <laughs> oh, that's, that's normal. <laughs> so, uh, so mum and dad still alive? Um, dad passed away uh, about seven years ago now right. and mum Mum's actually we bought a house together two years ago, so we've now become a an extended family here, so we can take care of her. She moved from Nambucca up to Brisbane. First time she'd moved in forty eight years. Wow. Um, yeah, so it's a long time, and it was a big emotional shift for her as well. It's it's taken her nearly the whole two years to start to feel comfortable up here. Yeah. Country. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and at that age as well, you know, in late 70s early 80s she's it's taken some time to find some social circle as well you know you don't just step in and bounce into that sort of stuff so it has been a a huge journey for all of us I think some of my biggest personal growth has happened in the last two years as well so what what are you guys doing 
while you're in ISO, as they say, what's happening for you at the moment? We're pretty much same old, same old here um, because I work from home. I run a business that's predominantly online. So um, I'm one of the fortunate few whose business has increased during this time, not decreased. So I've been flat out busy and my mm. husband is beauty manager at Coles. So he's an essential service and um, it's still same old, same old for him. The only difference is um, mum hasn't been able to go and play canasta and she hasn't been able to go walking with her friends and things like that. So she's feeling it a little bit more than we are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, uh, Julia, you know, on, on our show that we, uh, we like to delve uh, um, into the, uh, you know, the mysterious past of people's personal lives and that's right that, that's right that's right and we 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 have heard from a little birdie that you have a little bit of a story so <laughs> so um i guess i guess uh if we if we go back to um when you left school mm. uh, I, I mean i'm i'm imagine i'm i'm thinking that your story truly begins once you left school as it does for most people because school's yeah. pretty mundane and routine Tell us about your your journey since then. It's been a, it's been an interesting journey. I I left left Nambucca four days after I finished the HSC um, because there's just no work in that small country town. We we don't have you know if if you wanted to be a bank teller or a checkout chick though or pick bananas you know that was kind of about the extent of it. Um, and the boys mostly they went off to the abattoir if they wanted to stay locally and work there. But um, I caught the train. I, I, my grandmother still lived down at Bankstown, so I was fortunate enough to be able to go and live with her for a little bit. Um, and so I, I bought a one-way ticket to Na from Nambucca to Sydney. There were 26 of my classmates on the same train as me. Um, so there was, it's like a mass exodus. The rest of them, I think, went to Brisbane. So wow. we, all kind of, we all kind of left and, uh, and went you know, our different ways to find work or go to college or whatever. And I think um, four days after that, I got a job working at Bankers Trust at, in Australia Square on the 44th floor as a filing clerk, if memory serves me right. And well, that was that, exciting. That, that would yeah, have been a culture really. shock. <laughs> I don't know, a choice between filing clerk or abattoir. No, no, no. Mm, I, I, mm. No, I have to say, I I became a vegetarian at the age of seven. I haven't eaten red meat since I was seven, at any rate, wow. because our school teacher, our primary school teacher, decided to take us for a tour of said abattoir, and uh, that scarred me for life. I have not been able to eat red meat since. So, um, but aside from that, um, yeah, it was it was an interesting journey. Um, you go through a lot of ups and downs. It was where I first kind of realised that living in Bankstown, there was quite a stigma around that. For me, it was just my home away from home. And, um, and also that I really needed to further my education. I didn't have any intention really of, of doing secondary education uh, after high school, like college or TAFE or anything. But I realised very quickly that if I wanted to get ahead, I needed to have some sort of, you know, qualifications. So I put myself through a year of TAFE and did secretarial and the old shorthand and learnt touch type and all of that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, the, and old, then the old typing I'm, pool. Yeah. And then I moved very quickly to the uh, North Shore of Sydney to be in the right circle. So I think, you know, that, that actually is quite interesting because that taught me networking. 
and you know who you know and who you're connected to from that age as well which really ties into what I do now to some degree um but yeah I I moved out on my own and you know my mum and I had um a little bit of a row at one point I remember it really clearly because it was it was a momentous point in our relationship where she basically said, you know, she came down to visit me one time in my granny flat in Roseville. I lived in a converted garage in Roseville. Mm-hmm. Quite a nice possible spot to be, quite exactly. frankly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was a good good location. But um, she basically said to me, I remember it really clearly, that if you don't stop lying to me, um, you're no longer my daughter. And I basically, being the stubborn little wart that I was, decided, okay, fine with me. And and I think I shifted house and I didn't talk to her for nine months. She didn't know whether I was better alive. I actually kind of split everything. And and it was a really interesting time frame. You know, I got into the wrong crowd. I started doing all of the wrong things to do, you know, the whole drugs, drinking, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And I had a friend, I actually sold him my brother's motorbike and he saw this path that I was going down on. And and decided that he wasn't going to let that happen to me. He'd been down that path and gotten himself out of it and he wasn't going to let that happen to me. So to a large degree, he was my saving grace and I, I still am very grateful to him for this to this day that he, you know, paid attention to those signs and really took the time to come pick me up and get me out of the situations that I was in. And, and he also is the person who introduced me to my now husband um, and that uh, also in turn, it, the domino effect is quite interesting, right? From that moment that mum and I had that argument to my friend seeing the path that I was going down and deciding that's not going to be what I was, you know, destined to do, to, um, to then introducing me to my boyfriend who now becomes my husband and, um, and my then boyfriend, um, his name's Greg, my husband is Greg. Um, you know, six months after we started dating, said, look, I just can't take it. You're up one day down the next and I I just can't do it anymore. And I suddenly realized I had enough respect for Greg to recognize that, hey, I might actually have a problem. It might not be everybody else in the world that's telling me, you know, I'm crazy, but it actually might be me. It's not, you know what I mean? I finally took it on board that there was something going on. And so I realized that this was a relationship I really wanted to rescue and and that it was worthwhile investing in. And in doing so, that meant I needed to change. And so I went and uh, I worked at Sydney Adventist Hospital at that time. So I connected with the um, the chaplain there and he did a, a couple of, you know, personality profiles and <laughs> he just took one look at me and after the results and he went, you're a little out of my league. I'm going to refer you on. I went, okay. <laughs> so, so it was an exorcism you needed. <laughs> so, Julie, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm just let's let's just go back a bit. Um, yeah. What what was actually what kind of demons were you wrestling with during that time? Your mother, the argument with your mother was a trigger for something. But what were the kind of demons that you were wrestling with at the yeah, time? By this stage as well mum and I had reconciled so we had gotten back together but it was a really 
it was an awkward relationship to say the least, right? It was, it was challenging. And I, I would say in all honesty, it took us about 10 years to get back on an even platform um, in that relationship but for both of us to overcome, you know, the trust issues that we had with each other and stuff as well. So there's a lot of stuff going on there. And, and I'm really grateful to Greg, my husband, for being a mediator in a large part in those early days between mum and I, he could see that, you know, um, we were just too stubborn headed, each, each of us to see the other's point of view. And he was able to kind of be that, you know, that um, mediator between us, which is uh, in, incredibly grateful and blessed um, that he did that. Um, and I'm incredibly grateful and blessed that he hung around for the next, you know, we've been married 28 years now, the first nine months. Oh my God, it was just terrific. Um, I was diagnosed by the time I left the chaplain and, and he referred me to a Macquarie Street psychiatrist. Um, I was, I had some blood tests done and some other stuff and it was determined that I was cyclothymic was the technical term for it. Which what, is, what the? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Cyclothymic is. I, I guess that's term. that's that's another way of saying you were special. Very special. Um, it's 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 what the word is, right? It's cyclic, cyclic. So essentially, it uh, was borderline bipolar. It was from a chemical imbalance. It's where you have too much sodium versus potassium in your bloodstream, mm -hmm. and and it's not from eating too much salt or anything like that that people often think. It's actually just an imbalance that your body gets into, and so you have to bring that that sodium level down to meet natural levels. And it's one of the reasons it's interesting because it's one of the reasons I found out in recent times why elderly people, particularly at nursing home or as they're getting, um, you know, dementia, et cetera, they get really angry and it's because their potassium level has dropped and that will throw them into mood swings, for example. So, Julie, when you say uh, it, it was cyclic, was it the highs and lows of bipolar? Right. Yeah. Exactly, right. yeah. I had attempted to commit suicide three times, luckily. Um, I had friends that, you know, um, intervened or found me at the appropriate time and and so I obviously didn't succeed um, but you know you have those moments where you're high as a kite and you think that you you literally feel like you can do anything that you are limitless that, like that you know um, Bradley Cooper mm, movie mm. you can do anything mm. and um, and so there's no fear as such and there's um, and you're not really paying attention to consequences. And it's, it's also something that you don't have a lot of control over. This is your body determining your moods for you. And so <clears throat> it really is a very challenging situation to be in. Because of my diagnosis, we worked out very quickly um, because my psychiatrist at that time wanted to talk to not only me, but Greg and and also my parents and determine where the family history was in it. And it made a lot more sense for our family because my dad had been undiagnosed at this age, he was 68 when this happened. Um, he was undiagnosed bipolar one, which is the highest level of bipolar. And that made a lot more sense for us to be able to deal and treat that more yeah. appropriately because it was going untreated. And, um, and also then we found that that, has been passed from his mother 
who tried to commit suicide so many times that the Maxwell Hospital, the local hospital in the Nambucca Valley area, used to try and sew her up without anaesthetic just to try and teach her not to do it again. Um, And then my dad, and then it's passed down through me. My brother doesn't have it, but I've certainly been the carrier for it. And and part of that is a choice I also then decided to make not to have children was in due response to that because, A, my psychiatrist said to me, you are most likely to commit postnatal suicide, uh, have massive postnatal depression, in other words, because the changes in my body chemistry from pregnancy will throw me back into that. So um, yeah. it was a really it was a really interesting time. So we don't have children, but we have lovely fur babies that we adore and, <laughs> and spoil. So, so Julie, <laughs> um, that limitless nature that you have, mm-hmm. I would think that held you in good stead for the profession that you ended up in or you're now in, right? Because Look, you have no fear in some ways. Yes and no. It is something that doesn't stay around when you treat it, I have to say. So it's right. only when you're in the throes of being untreated, you know, bipolar, so to speak. Um, and it is also one of the reasons why a lot of people on bipolar stop their medication because they miss that aspect. Yeah. But I used to say to people, because you, you don't have a choice of when you're going to go from a high to a low either. Mm. You don't choose that. And I used to say to people to, to describe that feeling to them, it's like imagining that you can fly. And back in the day, one of my favourite parts to, to go and, and enjoy just chill out time was Long Reef down at the golf park there, right? I loved going out to the Long Reef and, and up to the top of the cliffs there at the back of the golf club. And, and it was like imagining that you could run up to the back of that cliff and that you could fly if you took off at the end of it, right? Um, but instead, what would happen is that you would plummet and you could see yourself plummeting, but there was absolutely nothing that you could do to stop yourself in, in the result that would happen. So it, it, it's cycle. It would be high and there would be this tiny moment of normal where you could go, okay, and it, it was fleeting. It never lasted long. And then you would crash and... When I crashed, or for example, when I hit my lows, it would be really hard for me to get out of bed for days mm. at a time. Mm. Um, you would be drag. It would it would be like wading through waist deep peanut butter. Everything that you did required three times the amount of energy to get through it. So, and when you're on medication, like I was on lithium for eighteen months, which is a natural salt that actually helps to eliminate excess sodium. And bring you back down to a normal level and and it requires a lot of fiddling to get the right levels but mm. for me I, we couldn't quite get it to normal it just put me in what i call a blue day for 18 months so i went from highs and lows to a blue day for 18 months where you'd still go to work and instead you'd you'd spend eight hours putting on a a, a face you know for everybody and and you'd get home and you'd be exhausted exhausted physically and emotionally exhausted from putting out that that expended energy for it um and i'm really grateful that i had a great psychiatrist i had some i I worked at a hospital as well so getting my blood tests every you know month was easy to do which is great the lesson learned there is i work night shift from 10 o'clock at night till eight in the morning trick is don't ask the pathologist on night shift to do it at seven o'clock in the morning 
she's a bit dodgy with the needle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a lesson yeah. to know. Yeah. But um, but on the whole, um, it it threw me into the whole personal development scene very early. And I had to learn what were my triggers. Um, a my mother-in-law was a big one. Uh, <laughs> And, and what were things that could help me reduce down the, the, the steepness of the decline and things like exercise, avoiding caffeine, uh, no alcohol, for example. I stopped drinking when I was 23. I haven't drunk since. So alcohol is a trigger, um, those kind of things. And really, you know, doing the things that would support you for having a normal, normal healthy life, essentially. Well, why would um, I mean alcohol? That's perfectly understandable. That that exacerbates uh, depression. Um, but but caffeine. Caffeine on the other side, you know, keeps you. Uh, oh, it, I see. It, it makes and, you, yeah. And, but at the same time, caffeine and sugar, as well, for that matter, it's like a cocaine hit, right? You have a high right. followed by a steep decline. Right. So it's avoiding foods that will exacerbate that kind of a, a situation. Clinical depression or. Yeah bipolarism be temporary or is it permanent because I think I was... this is the interesting question right so I, I would encourage people if they're feeling like they have highs and lows that they go and get that checked out and um and get a medical profession on that to mm. do the blood test to find out how your potassium and sodium levels are etc for me and I apologize if you hear a noise in the background my neighbor has decided to start you know cleaning his pool or something so that's all right we're we are we are restricted in some ways to the zoom the whole zoom thing so it's fine inevitably somebody will start a lawnmower or something can you you open up the window and tell him to shut the (laughs) (laughs) i probably could but you know that's all right um essentially um you know for me i was really fortunate and i'm very cognizant of that fact i wasn't in full-blown bipolar and they grade bipolar as in bipolar a b and and different grades of it my father was bipolar a essentially he was the highest level um for me i was cyclothymic which is that borderline it's not quite full-blown and so having that early treatment and then the personal development work that I did that helped me to really manage my energy and and keep track of my moods was really important. And mm. for that, again, I'm really grateful to my husband because, you know, he would tell me if I'm elevated or if I'm going down. And if I was going down, we'd go out for a walk or we'd do some exercise because that raises the endorphins. It gets oxygen through your blood. It, it's a good mood thing to do, right? Yeah. So we would do, we would go and have a walk with the dogs or we would, you know, go and play a game of squash, which was one of my favourite exercises. So things like that, um, there were ways for me to manage it a little bit more effectively when I came off the lithium 18 months later. Uh, and you can't just take yourself off lithium either for that matter. You've got to wean yourself off anything like that and make sure that you're doing it appropriately because body yeah. can go into a bit of a shock from that kind yeah. of thing too. Yeah. So amongst all yeah. of that, Julie, um, once you've got everything under control and you, um, you know, went on the journey of personal discovery around that, it, it, did it lead you towards um, giving you some clarity about where you wanted to be? In terms of work or in terms of... Well, I guess, I guess everything, but yeah, work, potent, you know, life. life. Yeah, um, not, not so much at that point. I think, you know, but I was diagnosed when I was um, 21 
So I, I still, you know, was finding my way in the world. Who do I want to be, et cetera? And, and um, I didn't really go into sales probably for another three or four years after that. Um, I always had an entrepreneurial streak, though. So, you know, having these crack brain ideas of, hey, we could sell this, for example, was, was quite common for me to do. Again, there was still that lingering, you know, hey, I can achieve anything. Um, so, yes, there, there's a certain level of that. But I've always, um, from a very young age, um, my mum has instilled into me from, from, because she saw my brother grow up and saw that he didn't have the level of self-confidence and didn't have that, that level of self-esteem, she took a different approach with raising me to really make sure that you know, I was self-confident and I did have good self-esteem and that, you know, the world was, her favourite saying is the world is your oyster, you know, or reach for the moon and if you don't land there, you'll land in the stars kind of thing. So whatever the, whatever the sayings were, she would always encourage me to go after my dreams, which is a great way to be brought up. I know so many kids have not had that, you know, um, opportunity. Their, their parents might instead say, you're an idiot, you don't amount to much, you know, you're not worth anything. For mm. me, I was really blessed to have somebody that believed that I could do anything, you know, particularly, that I put my mind to. Particularly of that generation. A lot of them were scarred. A lot yeah. of them were, um, um, you know, they had issues. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, my, pet, my, my father certainly did. Yeah. Uh, so you, you were quite fortunate. Uh, really fortunate and I think that comes down to mum also investing in personal development she had a husband undiagnosed remember bipolar that she was trying to figure out what the hell was going on there and right. um and and that you know that to her credit I mean she had not the easiest life let me say um and and it was challenging so she mm. really read a lot of books back in those days we in Nambucca we didn't have Macquarie Street psychiatrist right we didn't have all of that to go on and um I do remember though you know when I was diagnosed and I came back up to visit mum and friends and family and church members and stuff and mum saying don't tell anybody that you're diagnosed with this you know and I'm thinking but I need to mum shame need. yeah there was that whole 1950s don't yeah. you know, back in the day you know you don't talk about this sort of yeah. stuff and and I totally understand that that's her generation, but I knew for me that if I was going to get better, I needed to let people know that this is something that I was battling. It wasn't a choice that I had, but I was doing my best to overcome it. I was doing my best to be a, a functioning human being mm. mentally and mm. that, uh, um, that if I did act weird or irrationally, please let me know and bring me back. Don't react to me, but hey, Jules, you're, you're a little elevated there or you're, you know, you're okay kind of thing and check in with me so that I could then go, okay, I'm obviously high or low or, or moderating that and bringing me back down to somewhere I'm normal and it helped me to gauge where I was. So, yeah, that was really important to me. But I lost half my friends when I told them that I was diagnosed with this. Half of them went, they basically washed their hands with me. They, I think they were just looking for an easy excuse to do that. And they, you know, Julie, you're a crazy bitch, right? Now we can legitimately just wash our hands of you. And the others that hung in there, uh, most of them didn't really understand it. 
it wasn't even even today it's not widely talked about it's it's much more talked about than it was back back then 30 odd years ago um but it it still has that stigma attached to it and and i'm quite open about sharing this story with people if they ask me i am more than happy to talk about this and i've helped many people over the years whether they're in this situation and I've been able to identify it because when you've been there, you can see it in others and you can go, hey, have you got an issue? Are you not feeling well today? And, and you're able to then let them open up about it. You're able to share your journey and that then gives them comfort to know that there's somebody who gets it and that they can, they can have an open conversation with. But also we've helped a lot of families because I've been fortunate enough to not only be the the person who's gone through that but also then supporting my family with my dad um going through that for the next you know 20 odd years afterwards so yeah it's given me a very unique perspective and I think it's been quite a blessing maybe that's the reason I was given this to to be able to help those who have gone or are going through this well thank god you didn't you didn't succeed with your um (laughs) three suicide attempts yeah, uh, I think quite frankly they were they were more half-hearted than anything. But yeah. you know, you do hit those bottoms where yeah, you, know, you just don't think that there's any way out. And um, and I've seen my dad go through that many times from for about 10, 10 years there. Um, I could say from my late twenties to my early forties, uh, my dad would um, my mum would give me a call at least once twice a year every year for that 10 years to say your dad's gone missing he's taken all this medication you need to go yeah. home and I would do this herring drive from Sydney to to Nambucca and we had him on life support twice from his attempt to take his life um and I would yeah. get a call whether it be seven in the morning or nine o'clock at night and literally within half an hour I would pack my bag and be driving to Nambucca and the only thing I can say, I, I was talking to mum about this only a couple of weeks ago, actually, that the only thing I can say is it's divine intervention because every time mum called me and I would drive it literally a five and a half hour drive back in that day yeah. um, from, from Sydney to Nambucca, I would drive up there not knowing whether I was going to have my father still alive or we were heading for a funeral. Um, yeah. And and within half an hour of landing in Nambucca, just dropping my bag at mum's and then I would go out and, and go, okay, where would I go? What would I do if I was in dad's shoes? And literally within half an hour, I would find him, whether it was 2.30 in the morning, whether he'd been missing for three days and the SES had been scouring the area. Yeah. Um, literally, I would find him and we'd be able to get him back home. So. The question that I have for you is, did you ever feel resentful that, um, that you – you had to do these things to go and save your father um, because I, oh, I certainly did. I, no, not at all. I, I occasionally I would get resentful about my brother because he lived closer. Uh, and he but didn't he, do it. he always blamed my mum for these episodes rather right. than my dad, right. um, and didn't believe that dad had an issue. So it was a different family dynamic for him with mum yeah. and dad than it was for me. Yeah. And uh, he didn't really see all of the ins and outs. You know, brothers, no offence to, to either of you lovely gentlemen, but sometimes boys don't often really stay as involved in the family unit um, in some instances. And that was the case with my brother. They, he, he just thought that it was 
mum's fault that dad did all of these crazy things. And so he blamed her as opposed to really yeah. looking at the underlying diagnosis. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I've been really cognizant because I read a lot of books on bipolar after I was diagnosed. So I, I really invested in learning about this. Yeah. And I remember reading one book um, that was written by um, John Hopkins, a, a doctor at John Hopkins University Hospital over in the States. And, and he said that people who have a parent who's the high level bipolar, bipolar one or bipolar A, whatever they call it now, um, and they're diagnosed with cyclothymic at the age that I was diagnosed, which is tending to when it comes out, generally that late teens, early 20s is when it really emerges, um, that they're most likely to develop full-blown bipolar. 40% of them are most likely to develop full-blown bipolar as they get into their 40s and 50s. So you can imagine my trepidation as I hit my 40s. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to be, you know. So I've been really um, cognizant of managing my moods and being aware of them and also taking care of my energy. You know, what sucks my energy, what um, fuels my energy. You know, I'm making sure that, that I'm balanced. And if I need to rest, that I rest, you know, and I, yeah. I don't apologize for that. So, yeah. Looking back on it, Julie, do you think before you were diagnosed, um, looking back, do you remember as a child, um, like, were there signs, I guess? Oh, late teens. Um, from yeah. Well, not even late teens. I would say, for me, looking back on it, I probably saw this pattern behaviour emerge from about the age of 16 onwards, I would right. say. So there was a, a period there where certainly for, you know, five years, that five or six years, that it, it, it certainly wasn't, you know, diagnosed at all. Um, right. And it was a rocky time for me, it, you know, during that phase. But, but at the same time, um, you know, you, only, you, you do the best that you can with the information that you've got. And when you know better, you do better, mm, yeah. um, you know. So, yeah. Well, let, let, let's talk about some of the things that um, you discovered energised you. Yeah. Um, you know, because obviously that was a bit of a life journey for you and a, and a process of discovery. Yeah, uh, absolutely. What, um, what have you discovered uh, really lights you up and gets you going? What or, lights me up and gets, gets me you going? going. Well, that's changed as I've gotten older. <laughs> of course, of course. I mean, uh, people evolve, right? But Absolutely. But, but you know, um, you, you've had, a, you've had a, a, a massive transition. I mean, now yeah. you're now you're um, a thought leader in a particular industry. So that, yeah. that couldn't have come without a bit of a journey. Oh, absolutely. So um, I've, I've always invested in personal development, whether that's, you know, reading books or, as you can see, I'm an avid reader. Um, I, I thought they were just there for show, just to make yeah, you look like no. you're intelligent. Last year I, I had thought a that was a virtual. I thought, it, I thought it was a virtual background like George's. A virtual no. library. <laughs> No, this is my notice, notice my library. It's empty. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. It's like your 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 uh, mind. <laughs> <laughs> Just joking. He knows I love him. That's really mean. <laughs> um, yeah, no reading. I've I've always been an avid reader from a young from a young age. So reading has been huge for me. Um, and so whether those those mentors have been through the books that I've read or. Back in the day, I when I first started in sales, uh, I invested a lot into leadership. So um, Stephen Covey, you know, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. I became a 
a facilitator in that, you know, 20 odd years ago, oh gosh, yeah, over 20 odd years ago. Um, I, um, I did uh, John C. Maxwell's leadership series, um, you know, how to develop the leader within, how to develop the leader without, you know, as in people outside or around you. Um, so, you know, did a lot of that kind of development back in the day when we had the old VHS tapes, right? You know, <laughs> um, so I, I have. Sorry, I I'm not that old. What are they? <laughs> Just after the beta tapes. <laughs> oh, 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 what are they? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Um, and then we went to CDs. I've got, I still got into the cupboard over there. Tony Robbins's, um, you know, CD set for, you yeah. know, success yeah. achievement back in the day. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I did a lot of, you know, personal development and, and I was really fortunate. In fact, you know, I, having worked at the hospital for six years and, and then transitioning into doing, you know, um, uh, sales. I moved into what people now call multi-level marketing. Um, back then, for me, it was party plan. I did party plan for nine years um, after I left, you know, corporate work or, or office work or whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and I was really blessed to have an upline, my, the people who, you know, signed me up into this particular, uh, you know, company were really big on personal development themselves and they they really invested into the people who wanted to grow and I was always hungry to do better and I've always been competitive I've I've been in sales for as long as I can remember you know I think I told you George that I started cold calling when I was five years old so I've been doing you know um, sales or cold calling in some form for a long time now um, but you know doing it and doing it well are two different things so learning the intricacies of growing a team, of managing other people, um, which in turn you then need to be a leader and manage yourself. And that really was fundamental to my growth. And I, when anybody says to me that they've just joined a multi-level marketing company, whether it be Amway, God bless them, or whether it be, you know, uh, another program, I'm always so excited for them because that has, that gives you an opportunity to grow yourself in a whole different way. Many of those businesses will invest a lot of personal development for their, for their teams and their downline and, and it can be foundational to your growth. So yeah. I, I, you know, compliment and congratulate anybody who's gone into that um, because it, it, it was just such a big shift for me. My mum says, you know, those years that I worked in that actually changed me as a person because, and it made me a better person. Um, so I'm really grateful and I look back very fondly on those days. Yeah, it's, the, it's, it's one of the biggest things about um, the most advantageous things about uh, multi-level marketing businesses. They're very big in, into uh, personal development of um, everyone within the organisation. Mm, and exactly. uh, it it can change people. It uh, certainly has changed uh, my brother-in-law, um, and I saw that he didn't make any money out of it. But but yeah. it certainly it certainly made him a more tolerable person. Yeah, you, it, it, <laughs> I hope takes, he's not listening to this episode. Makes money out of it. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, but, but the personal development side is is been really critical, and you know the things that that things that help me keep my my mood elevated, which is going back to the question that you talked about back in those days. I, I used to play competitive squash down in Sydney. So, squash.
squash is always something I grew up with and I love to play. Um, and it, it, it fueled a few things. I am quite a competitive person by nature, not necessarily with other people, but at least with myself, I always like to do better than what I did last time. So, yeah. uh, and my best piece of a life advice that I ever got was on a squash court. Do you want to hear it? Yes, yeah. of course. Best piece of advice ever. So I was playing squash this particular day and I had a call against me. The referee called this, you know, um, stroke against me. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? That wasn't a stroke. Can't you say? And she's sitting at an elevated position. So just to give context, she can see the whole picture. I can see my perspective of it, right, down on the court. So I'm like arguing with her, forgetting, by the way, that she is an international squash referee. Silly Julie. And she turned around after I stopped having my tanty on the court and she looked at me and she said, Julie, if you don't like the call, improve your game. <laughs> wow. And I have kept that piece of advice that was given to me over 25 years ago. I've kept that piece of advice and it can apply to every part of your life. It can apply to if you don't like the results that you're getting in your business, improve your game. If you don't like the results that you're getting in your relationship, improve your game. If you don't like the results, you know, elsewhere, improve your game. There is no, and it's not anybody else's responsibility. It's your responsibility, right? Mm -hmm. So it has been the best thing. And, and it shut me up immediately. The moment she said that, I went, oh, how can you argue back against that, you know? So, yeah. So bring bring us to present day. So what do you, what tell everybody exactly how you go about what you do now? How I go about what I do. Um, so so for everybody that you know, I work online. I I teach business owners how to generate leads and sales easily and elegantly through LinkedIn. So that's what I do. Um, mm -hmm. For me, um, you know. Life is about, you know, it's, it's not about a competition with you and your, your peers or your competitors out there. It's about doing better yourself every day. So one of the biggest shifts, again, each, there's, there's like, you know how when you cut open a tree, there's growth rings? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if we cut open my tree, for example, we'd see that growth ring when I was 21 and then the other growth ring when I had that moment at the, on the squash court and another growth ring, you know, at different parts where I've invested into my learning and, and improving myself. And, and um, five years ago, I don't know if you can see probably just up here where my finger is pointing, there's a picture. You can't see it very clearly, but have you heard of a guy called Jack Canfield? Oh yeah. yes. Oh, Jack. Well, that's, that's me and Jack Canfield up there. Chicken soup for the Chickens. soul. <laughs> right. So um, five years ago, I spent six days in Arizona with Jack Canfield. And again, that was a huge growth ring for me. And, and it's one of the, my favorite books as well. Um, so if you're wondering, it's called The Success Principles, How to Get From Where You Are Now to Where You Want to Be. My bookmark's falling out. Yeah. I've read this book probably four times now. Wow. Um, and I was in a mastermind where we actually did chapter, a chapter a week. Uh, and we did that for three and a half years, every week for three and a half years. And we went through that book a couple of times. Um, I highly recommend if people are looking for how to improve themselves in life, work, um, relationships, sport, whatever, 
this is the book to read. So big shout out to Jack Canfield on that. It has been a life changing. So, and again, that first principle ties back to the advice the squash lady gave me, the squash referee gave me. The first principle is take 100% responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know? So yeah. That- it's 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 um it's something that uh, you know people are, uh, are happy to try and avoid. Yeah, <laughs> isn't it? at all costs. <laughs> at all exactly. costs. Yeah. Exactly. But it's also something I teach my clients. No one's going to care about your business as much as you do, right? Yeah. Yeah. But and uh, no one is responsible for the results. You are. You're responsible. The buck stops with you. So if you want to have a better business, then what do you need to invest in for that to happen? Mm. If you want a better relationship, what do you need to do to to do that? Don't expect your partner to carry the load on that. Meet them more than halfway. Take full responsibility of your part in that relationship and show up differently, you know, Um, to the point where... My husband, when we were, we went to New Zealand in January, which can I frankly say, feels like it was five years ago. <clears throat> You're right. This year, it's felt like it's been well, fast and slow all at the same time. Well, so, COVID, um, COVID-19, darling. <clears throat> yeah. And we arrived in New Zealand. I'll give you a little example of this, of how this growth has occurred. We arrived in New Zealand at one o'clock in the morning and, um, and we're all a little bit shot, you know, a little bit donkered from the travel. It's not mm. that it's a big journey, but it, it takes time. You get to the airport three hours early and blah, 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 blah. And so you're a little bit time baffled. And, and between Ava's rental car desk and the actual rental car itself, somewhere along the line, the three of us, because my mum came with me, the three of us left my laptop bag behind that has my work computer on it. And everything that I need to run my business right? <laughs> and so I didn't realize that at that moment we didn't find that out until 10 30 the next morning right when I went looking for my laptop and it wasn't in the house that we mm. were the Airbnb that we we're staying at mm. to which I did the usual expletive 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 it's gone you know? <laughs> and we ran around the house and looked through the car looking for it to which point, you know, um, you know, we jumped in the car, mum, Greg and I jumped in the car and raced back to the airport and, and I went into Ava's desk to see if it got handed in and the help desk and the lost and found desk and all of the crib sheds in the parking lot to see if anyone saw it there and, and it, nothing, there's nothing had been found anywhere and I thought, okay, I can ruin my holiday here and I can let that get to me and really take everybody down with me, or I can see it as an opportunity that I can upgrade my laptop <laughs> and I can, I can do a promotion on social media uh, and give away some great knowledge that I have and make some money towards that said new laptop, right? Because I didn't have that in the budget just at that point in time. And so I decided to choose the response of let's look at this on the positive and that Whatever happens, happens. But interestingly enough, the help desk gave me three numbers, uh, actually two numbers and an email address to follow up with and see if anyone had had told it. And I thought, look, if it's not in these places, it's not going to be found anywhere. It's gone. I'm I'm just going to say goodbye to it and let's get on with it. And um, let's not let it ruin the holiday because we were meeting up with family in New Zealand. There was quite a group of us. So 
I didn't want to bring everybody on a Debbie Downer. And anyhow, we got back to our Airbnb, caught up with the rest of the group and we were having lunch. And after lunch, I just, I had this intuitive feeling to call the top number. And, and so I thought, okay, follow that intuition, Julie. It usually leads you right. So I rang the top number and it was the lost and found of the airport, which is one of the places that I briefly touched base with. And I said, look, my name is Julie Mason. I'm wondering if you've had a laptop bag handed in. I described the laptop bag in detail, what was inside it, the name of the book that I had in there as well, because I always travel with a book, who doesn't, right? Um, exactly the type of laptop that it was. And they said, um, and, I, and here's the interesting thing. I did not have my name on anything in that laptop. My name or address was not on a single thing. And so to identify it, I really had to be quite descriptive. And so they said, yes, it got handed in one hour ago from biosecurity. <laughs> I thought that it was a bomb. So they wow. treated it as a biohazard. And, um, and essentially, um, the only reason that they could know it was mine was when they t opened up the laptop and turned it on, my name came up on the screen. Wow. And, Amazing. you know, I was... I was incredibly grateful. I'd already posted up on social media. Hey guys, I lost my laptop. So I'm going to do this really big promotion to make money to get it back. And everyone was like, yeah, we're on board with all of that. So, you know, it was, I, I kind of hedged my bets both ways, but my husband said to me afterwards, he said, Julie, if that was me, I would a hundred percent be really pissed that I lost that. I would be really upset. And I would want to blame everybody else. And I said, but, it, and my mum was blaming herself because she was one carrying it at that point. And I said, mum, it's not your fault. It's my laptop. I was the one that should take 100% responsibility. And this goes back to Jack Canfield's teaching. Right? I was the one that chose to bring that laptop with me. So I needed to take responsibility for it, regardless of who was carrying it, where and when. If I needed it, I needed to make sure that it came with us every step of the way. And I didn't. So I said, it's not your fault. It's not Greg's fault. It's not anybody's fault. It just happened. And in that first part of, of understanding, taking 100% resp uh, responsibility, Jack talks about the E plus R equals O formula, which is the event plus your response to that event, event equals the outcome, mm. right? Mm. Yep. So for me, I, I kind of, you know, really live that E plus R equals O. I've had to really, really bed that down since we've moved into this house over the last couple of years and, and even further refine my responses to things, particularly with the different dynamic that we have in the house now. Um, and, and I really instill that, you know, principle to my clients as well, that it is up to you whatever you want in life, whether it's work, play, business, sport, whatever, it's up to you to choose that response. It's up to you to choose what you want out of life. Mm -hmm. So Julie, uh, before we finish up, how do people get in touch with you? Well, it would be crazy if I didn't say get in touch with me on LinkedIn. Hey? <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, but, 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 you know, Julie, some people, some people may not have a LinkedIn uh, profile sure. because, because they've shied away from LinkedIn like I did for many, many years. Um, yeah, look, guys, you can, you can pretty much find me on all social networks. So you can yeah. find me on 
LinkedIn, uh, uh, Julie Mason um, is my, my full name. You can find me on Instagram or Facebook under Guru Jules. So at Guru Jules is my, my tagline there. Um, and if you want to connect with me uh, via email, you can reach out at julie at juliemason.com.au. So, and, you, and you do read every email and respond to every email. I do. That's, that's terrific. So, <laughs> so Julie, before you, uh, is that your maiden name, Mason? No, my maiden name is Julie Grubb, and I miss it. Grubb? Yeah, G-R-U-B-B. No, no yeah. wonder you changed it. <laughs> no, no, no. I actually tried to get my husband to change his name. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, again, that's, you know, my, my brother, uh, he, if anybody asked his name up until the age of 16, he would say, first name, David. And they'd say, what's your last name, David. And so Dave David. Yep. Dave David. Yeah. He hated his name. And and our cousins, who were also last name Grub, um, they got teased so much at school that um they actually changed their name to their mother's maiden name. And um so my mum saw this happening with my cousins and with my brother. And I'm six years behind, right? So I'm coming through. And so she they used to call me every name under the sun. Um, Sarah Cadoodle Hopper, Hairy Legs, you know, Scooby Doo, whatever, whatever came out, you know, they used to make fun of calling me names, and so they wanted to really acclimatize me to people making fun of that, and um, and essentially, I really, and, and again, that whole sticks and stones will break your own, you know, bones, but names will never hurt me kind of thing. So I got that a lot growing mm-hmm. up. Um, and yeah, I got, I got teased a lot at high school. I mean, we were a very small country town, so it's mm. very hard to hide. Um, and, um, and essentially it didn't bother me, but it, it was a great identifier because if somebody said, oh, grub, you know, you knew that they were foe. If they said grubby, you knew that they were friends. Well, there right? you go. Yeah, and right. so it was an identifier for me. I could easily tell the nature of the person or the character of the person by how they said my last name. And it was actually a really good thing to go, mm, okay, I'm going to watch you. <laughs> Look, I love music. Um, yep. And so choosing a favourite song Tough, is huh? really challenging. But there is one song that I think goes well with this conversation that is a, a personal favourite of mine, and it's Andrea Day's Rise Up. Oh, yes, I know it. And, um, and I love that song. I, I even love, I love, I encourage people to watch the YouTube, the official youtube video um, of that song because it's really talking about you know overcoming mountains and that you will show up as your best self and for me that's that's how i live my life well on that note julie mason grub grubby grubby we love you grubzo (laughs) thank you so much for uh being a part of float your boat you know it it um Thank we try you. to inspire people with stories and once again, hopefully we haven't failed in that with your great story. Thank you. So, yeah, and, thank uh, you so much for having me. I think this is, these are the conversations we need to have and particularly right at the moment where people are really struggling with isolation and with everything that's going on in the world. I hope this brings some, some good tips for people. So thank yeah, you so sure much for having yeah, me. Yeah, yes, Julie, and even for those people who are struggling with a LinkedIn profile, they should see <laughs> 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 Thanks, Julie. Thank Pleasure. you, Julie. Take care. Take care. Take care. Bye bye. You're broken down and tired of living life on the merry-go-round. 
You can't find a fighter But I see it in you So we gon' walk it out Move mountains We gon' walk it out And move mountains And I'll rise up I'll rise like the day I'll rise up I'll rise unafraid I'll rise up And I'll do it a thousand eight times again Silence is quiet, and it feels like it's getting hard to breathe. And I know you feel like dying, but I promise we'll take the world to its feet. Move, I won't dance, bring it to its feet. And we'll 